Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for October 10th. I'm your host, Jeff Pitchford. On this week's edition, we have interviews with State Senator Gary Stubblefield of District 6 and District 74 Representative John Eubanks about post-flood assessment of critical levees. We also talked to Poinsett County farmer Scott Matthews about how he uses the latest technology to stay profitable, and we get an update from Jefferson County farmer Wes McNulty on how his season has turned out after heavy flooding earlier this year. First up, Arkansas Farm Bureau's Greg Patterson interviews Arkansas legislators Gary Stubblefield and John Eubanks about their recent tour with Congressman Bruce Westerman of areas flooded earlier this year by the Arkansas River. The two provide insights into what they saw and updates on the status of damaged levees. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we're talking with Senator Gary Stubblefield and Representative John Eubanks and both of them today Y'all went around with Congressman Westerman. You went down to the areas that were horribly flooded during the spring. And uh, Senator Stubblefield, tell me what y'all see this morning. Well, we saw, uh, first of all, we visited a a, uh, pumping station that actually was underwater, about 10 feet of water, uh, that's gonna have to be probably completely redone well, there's no problem. It's going to have to be redone and raised uh, approximately 10 feet from, from the elevation it is now. That's just one of the things that we saw. We also saw uh, breaches, several breaches in levees. Some, one levee in particular was a couple of hundred yards wide. Uh, as John mentioned earlier, probably 500,000 yards of, of dirt and fill are going to have to be brought in. And uh, just a lot of work. A lot of work. Talked to a farmer who was uh, concerned about planting this fall because it, you know, in, in the spring, it may not even happen. Wait, wait till the spring. This could happen this fall or this winter. And these farmers, you can understand the frustration because they're wanting to plant. They don't know uh, whether to plant or not. They borrow money. The banks don't know whether to loan them the money or not, not knowing whether these levees are going to be fixed in time. And in fact, the core brought up. Uh, particular, we asked them what the time frame was on this, and they said uh, possibly a year and a half. So you're talking about the spring of 21 before they actually fix these levees. And uh, Congressman Westerman uh, brought up uh, about expediting this to put up something temporary to give at least some protection until they, so they can have some certainty as to what they plant and when they plant it. And uh, that's what we're currently working on, is trying to get some temporary levees put up until these structures can be repaired uh, permanently. And that was, that was the gist of most of the visit. But I know, that, uh, I know that Congress Westerman is really involved in this. He came to Little Rock, testified before the, the levy task force and some other committees there at the Capitol. And so... He's doing, he's doing all he can do. I know there's a lot of bureaucracy involved. I know farmers are frustrated. A lot of us are because this flood happened in May. This is October. Why is it taking so long to get these assessments done and, and get some engineers out looking at this and giving us some estimates or at least telling us what, when they're going to do it, some kind of time frame. And I think that's one of the sad things about Washington today 
is the bureaucracy that they have to go through and all the different studies that has to be done before a project can even be started. And, you know, as a farmer myself, I told the group this morning, farmers are used to fixing things right then, you know, and they're sitting out here waiting months and months on the, on the Fed, the government, the federal government to act. And it's, it's frustrating. I can, I can sympathize with them. Now, Representative Eubanks, what's, what's your district telling you? Uh, what are the, I mean, you're a farmer yourself. I'm sitting here uh, for our listeners and I've got two farmers in front of me who understand this issue. What are your constituents saying to you? Well, I started getting contacted as soon as uh, the waters on the Arkansas were threatening the levees. And so uh, we were watching the situation early on. And then, of course, once the, it breached, uh, I was fortunate enough to actually go up in a helicopter and actually see the extent of the damage. And uh, when you see it from that perspective, it, it, it truly is mind boggling how expansive the damage was. Uh, there was there was one small area of the of the bottoms that on the higher end that didn't have water covering the crops so uh, they lost their whole crop their wheat crop and then they had to go back in and they've replanted they've been able to replant uh, get in some late soybeans but uh, the fact remains that they don't know uh, what the plan is they haven't been given uh, timeline like uh, Gary said and that where uh, they can plan for their future uh, they don't know if they qualify for crop insurance if they were to put in uh, a wheat crop uh, they don't know when the the work on the levy is going to begin they don't know when it's going to be completed and so uh, today's tour with uh, Congressman Westerman and the Corps of Engineers uh, gave me a little hope that we're finally starting to move in the right direction. And, uh, and I'm frustrating as well as that it, here it is in October and we're just now having this meeting and, and being able to emphasize upon uh, the government agencies just how imperative it is that we, we move forward and get, get something going, that we have people's livelihoods to depend on it. And whereas we're not talking about... Uh, a huge land mass as far as the number of acres that are in the McLean bottoms, it still has a huge economic impact on our, our local economy. Uh, that is a large part of the agricultural income that comes into this county. So uh, it's important for us, not only as farmers, but it's also important to our, our local businesses and industries to know that this is going to be, uh, these levies are going to be fixed. These people can stay in, in business and, uh, and continue in their operations. Uh, like I said, I think the biggest, the biggest problem, the frustration is just coming from not knowing and not knowing how to plan. Uh, but, uh, I think at Congressman Westerman's urging, I think the core heard a lot of what we said. And I think, uh, I think they are interested in, in doing some temporary repairs, uh, which they most likely would have to do to do the permanent repairs on the, on the uh, levy anyway. 
and also some calls were made to the Tennessee Valley Authority who actually installed the pump station and how long it would actually take to uh, at least get one of the pumps out and get it uh, uh, refurbished and back in place. So uh, they said a short timeline for that would be two months to get that part done. But we still even have a couple of roads that are closed because the pump station's not working and there's water over the roads and that's that's causing a uh, uh, a hardship on the farmers because of the distance they have to travel because they can't use those roads. So that's just another cost that it that they're having to bear. But uh, like I said, I, I think I heard some things today that were encouraging. I wish we'd had the meeting this meeting a couple of months ago and uh, possibly move forward, but. Uh, Maybe now we we will start moving forward and seeing some work done. Now, Senator Stubblefield, you've been heavily involved <laughs> since the governor uh, put together the uh, uh, levy uh, task force, whatever you want to call it, in in learning about this whole levy system. And and I guarantee you, you've probably forgotten more than most people even know at this point. What's coming up in the next? Uh, few weeks to a month in regards to reporting back to the governor what have what have you all been finding out well first of all let me say i appreciate the governor jumping on this uh as quickly as he did because you know we have a tendency sometimes when we have a disaster like this to either if we don't deal with it sometimes it gets forgotten and let, goes by the wayside but he recognized the importance of of what happened during this uh this flood we had and how important it was to form a task force to first to try to fix the problem before it happens again. The, uh, the total task force, we meet once a month. We were divided up into four subgroups. Uh, one of those subgroups I chair that deals with the uh, current uh, adequacy of current laws that deal with the levy system uh, and also the structural organization of the levy system. I have researched that in depth. I've had the Bureau do a lot of work as far as pulling up uh, past legislation. And uh, this all is a result of a lot of this legislation was passed back in the late 20s and 30s as a result of the, the flood that happened in 1927, which killed thousands of people and millions of acres underwater. But there's a lot of legislation that was passed that is really obsolete, and two of those Two of those codes that uh, I am uh, getting a bill drafted now that will repeal two of those codes that prohibit the ANRC, who is in charge of, of you know, the wetlands and, and the levee system, to be able to access, have access to all the information they need. Now they can't do that. So this, this bill will uh, repeal the old codes, bring in some new legislation that will give them oversight uh, over the, the levee boards and uh, that whole process. So there's a lot being done. We are going to report. Uh, I will have a subgroup meeting tomorrow. The other three subgroups have either already met or getting ready to meet before the 14th because on the 14th we will be uh, submitting, each subgroup will submit a report to the governor. And uh, so that will be on the 14th. And we're putting those together now. So there's a lot of information. A lot of things have been changed as far as and there's a lot of talk about consolidating levy boards. Uh, some levy boards are in favor of that, some are not. 
And uh, there's also conversation about the, uh, the fees uh, per acre. You know, during the flood in Pocahontas, I think those fees are now 50 to 60 cents an acre, where they're 25 here. Uh, there's just a lot of issues like that. I had uh, all of the counties, I had the information on all the counties in the state of Arkansas that border the Arkansas River from the Oklahoma border all the way to, to the Tennessee border. Had that pulled and I had plus the assessment fees that had been collected and uh, some of those some of those districts had boards that hadn't met in years and you know like I said before we have a when we first started this we recognized that we did have a huge uh, disparity in not only the number of levies we knew about but the number of levies that were out there we had no idea where they were and uh, we didn't know how many of these levy boards were still meeting and how many were actually functioning or how many had just become obsolete and uh, so even even though there was a bill passed in 2017 during the session by Senator Raper that dealt with uh, a process by which uh, the county judges would go in and, and make sure these levy boards were meeting if they weren't he would report to the Attorney General and uh, I'm not sure you know those laws are being followed and you know, there's some districts that are not in compliance with those laws but if we're going to be successful we need to bring all these levies uh, under the Corps of Engineers and their standards because they go in and inspect these levies at least once a year. And then they make the recommendations whether the levy is acceptable or unacceptable. And if the levy is unacceptable and there's a disaster, our, our levy is not under the Corps, uh, it's not under the Corps, it's not enrolled in their programs, then they're not eligible for any kind of money for repairs in case of a disaster like we just had so it's very important to get these levies enrolled in the, in the court program and so they can be inspected and those inspections be sent on up to uh, ANRC and make sure that they are complied with so that's what we're trying to do now there's just a lot of information we'll know a lot more after the 14th after these four reports are submitted to the governors and we're, for, and we're fortunate here in that our levies were within in the core program and, uh, and had been inspected and everything. So uh, that is why we're going to be able to have the Corps uh, repair our levees here, repair the, the pump station. Uh, there may be some local expenses incurred, but uh, the bulk of it is going to be uh, incurred by the, the Corps of Engineers. Now, John, uh, one of the things that I heard when we were listening to the Colonel uh, make some comments too is there was the Corps has, I guess, approved at this point $113 million for levy repair, and, and that would be uh, all over. But, you know, I think about highway bills and how much it costs to build a mile of highway, and $113 million doesn't sound like it's going to go too far when you have literally probably hundreds of miles, maybe even thousands of miles of levies. Uh, I understand your concern. <laughs> I can't even imagine uh, building our current levy system today in today's dollars. I don't, I don't think we could get it done. But, uh, you know, we do have local responsibility to maintain and, uh, uh, these levies. And I think this flood has reinforced uh, the idea that we cannot 
solely rely on the federal government for our protection and, and for the uh, maintaining these levies. So it's imperative that these levy boards are functional and are operating the way they should across the state of Arkansas. Uh, I think what took place in Pocahontas a couple years ago is it, and then of course this flood is just, uh, re, it just reinforces the idea that we, we have to do and prepare uh, for mother nature and uh, the things that we may have to deal with. But at the same time, we can't protect ourselves against every likelihood. So we have to be, uh, we have to be reasonable uh, in, in what we're doing, but uh, at the same time, uh, we've got to be realistic and, and maintain these levies if we want to uh, protect our, our uh, livelihoods and life itself. He's Representative John Eubanks, and we've been talking with John and with Senator Gary Stubblefield about the levy systems post the flood that we had in the spring. And gentlemen, thank you so much for being a part of Arkansas AgCast today. Thank you. Thank you. Next, Keith Sutton talks to Scott Matthews of Wiener about how he uses cutting-edge technology to operate a profitable rice and soybean farm in Poinsett County and shares his thoughts on how it could help others increase their bottom line as well. Welcome to AgCast. I'm Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. Today I'm in Poinsett County near the town of Wiener, right in the heart of rice country, uh, soybean country too, and I'm visiting with Scott Matthews on his farm just outside of town. Welcome to AgCast, Scott. Thank you, Keith. Tell us a little bit to get started about your farm. Let us uh, know how you uh, got to where you are here on your farm. Well, I actually grew up in the fertilizing chemical business. My dad owned a very large independent, and uh, years ago we transitioned from that business. During the consolidation time of agriculture, we consolidated into farming. And, uh, you know, with farming, being new to farming and uh, not being generationed in, I had a lot of new ideas and uh, I really embraced a lot of technologies. And we're seeing more young people, I think, today doing that. But people my age, and you're a little bit younger than me, but the people our age probably don't embrace it quite as much as the younger generation. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, well, you know, it, it started, when it first started, uh, I got into conservation tillage, which is basically a fancy name for no-till or con-till or stale seedbed. And... Uh, I really took off with that, and it was kind of odd because there was no such things as no-till drills at that time, and we kind of made that work. Uh, you know, we we had we had some opportunities there, and uh, we just took advantage of them. You know, uh, we was always looking for ways to save labor and, and cost, and, and conservation tillage provided that during that time. And tell us a little bit about the commodities you have farmed. I grow mostly uh, rice and wheat in a one-in, one-out rotation. No, rice and soybeans in a one-in, one-out rotation. We've we've raised wheat a couple times, uh, but the price is just not conducive for the type of ground we have. 
Poinsett County is kind of known as being a, a rice county. It's maybe the biggest in the country. Yeah, I, at Poinsett least some county, years. Poinsett County does have the largest acres of rice in Arkansas, and I think in the United States as well. And uh, yeah, it's, we're primarily rice. It, it's our racehorse. Well, let's talk a little bit about something you've got coming up. You've been invited to be a guest speaker at the National Conservation Tillage Cotton and Rice Conference. It's coming up in Memphis, and uh, tell us a little bit about that. What's it about, and what will you be talking about? You know, it's a conference that's been going on a long time, and it's conservation-based. And years ago, I I was a speaker, uh, ten or eleven times speaker on conservation tillage, and I and I've and I've kind of got away from that, kind of took a leave of absence, so to say. And uh, Dr. Jared Harkey, University of Arkansas uh, Rice Specialist, he asked me. Usually, uh, a farmer is usually paired with a specialist, and uh, and he asked me to come back and speak. And this year. Uh, mine is on water conservation, and that's how we've evolved over time in farming from, you know, kind of from, from the land to the irrigation part. Well, I know on your farm, conservation's extremely important. I mean, it's a high priority. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do on your farm conservation-wise. Yeah, and what what pushed us to irrigation conservation is I'm – when I first started, uh, I was on the edge of the critical groundwater era. Okay. Area, and uh, now I'm in the area, and, and so it's it's become very important. Uh, you know, you hear a lot of things about alternate wetting and drying, and, and most most drop for the crop and things like that. And we're we're trying to implement not necessarily those things, but our own version of that of using the least amount of water to grow a successful crop. So that kind of leads us into some technology. Let's talk a little bit about irrigation technology. How has that changed since you and your dad were getting into farming to now? Uh, there's been uh, a few years have passed, and it's really changed immensely, hasn't it? Yeah, you know, the number one thing is we started uh, precision leveling our ground. And once we got our ground uh, where it would water more uniformly, then we started concentrating on, uh, you know, polypipe and using polypipe to water paddies. And, and then and the, and there came the irrigation programs where you actually use a flow meter to calibrate your well. You, you, you know that, you know that, you know the acres inside a paddy. And even this year, we've incorporated the use of a drone. And, and the, the drone is actually measured measured where we had to manually do it before the drone has actually measured the acreage inside the rice levees which is actually paddy uh, and it's helped a lot so it's a lot more precise uh, for one thing is that right yeah you know Keith that's, that's the one thing in farming is you don't get opportunities to take advantage of big percentage change everything's a small percentage change and it happens over time. You know, just getting a little better. Get your land in a little bit uh, where it, it'll irrigate better. Uh, getting your, you know, polypipe. We used to didn't have a program. Now we have, you know, there's multiple programs you can use. And, and all that's a learning experience. You know, uh, measuring the gallon 
uh, prior or permanent or flow of your well. You know, every it's all become a giant math problem. And the better you are with your math problem, the better job at the end of the year of returning your investment to your pocket. A lot of people think farmers just have to know how to push a seed in the ground and that's it, but that's not the case. They gotta be, they, got, they wear so many different hats and mathematicians one of those, right? Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's incredible. Um, I think a lot of people perceive farming is planting and harvesting and, and actually those are comfort times because you're, <laughs> you're not in, in in this insanely intense management process that we're in you know but but you know even though these technologies you they are extra work and, and they do they do make you think and, and they do make you use math but they also make you extremely efficient and it makes me extremely efficient being in this critical groundwater it's very important to me not just as a cost saving but also as a water savings well scott you're also very heavily involved uh with the poinsett county farm bureau you're on their board of directors correct I, i'm vi- currently vice president okay well how important is all of that conservation to everybody else in this county it's not just you it's a lot of people is that yeah, right well it, it's tied to everyone everyone's uh tied together you know this whole critical groundwater and it's going to take a group a collective effort from all of us to sustain agriculture irrigation agriculture through this area so rice in particular uh because of the amount of water you need for rice but that's that's changed a lot. Uh, I know a lot of farms I've visited in the last three or four years, they're really working hard toward water conservation. They've reduced the amount of water they're using tremendously. Yeah, I, I would say that on our precision level fields with, and it's not exclusive precision level, but it, the precision level fields I would say that we almost have no runoff unless you get an untimely rain. And, and and I would say that our cost savings and labor savings is somewhere, our, our labor savings is probably 80 to 90% oh, throughout wow. the year. And I'd say our reduction of water is somewhere between 50 and 60% in a given crop year. That's that's amazing. Yeah. I think a lot of people who listen to our podcast are not farmers. What, what would you want them to know? I think a lot of people have misconceptions about how farmers take and don't give back. And that's not the case at all. Well, you know, the... I strive to leave things better than I found them. And, and, and that's every aspect, whether it be the soil, the water, and, and, and all things. And, and, you know, we try to be environmentally friendly. Uh, we are the original conservationists. And, uh, and, and that's, not only, that's not something we do because we want to. We do it because it makes everything flow better, and it'll be better in the end. You were just talking with me earlier and mentioned uh, 
you have an eagle that flies up in the tree in your yard. Your yard is right here in the middle of your your farm in farm country, but you have eagles come up beside your house. I know you have ducks on your property. Yeah. Wildlife uh, conservation is important to farmers in this area too. Yeah, we we always tried to provide. You know, um, I don't hunt anymore, duck hunt, but we I've hunted for for years with my father, and um, you know we always we have a reservoir, and we always have a few fields that that we. Uh, we catch rainwater or surface water recovery water and, and create a, a wildlife habitat. And the eagle, he comes every, every November, December, he comes and he sits in the same tree and he usually stays two to three months and kind of keeps an eye on the place. So we like seeing him. Let's, uh, let's look forward. Uh, if you looked into your crystal ball, what are what are one or two of the things you think we might see coming down the pike technology wise that that might change things even a little bit more? Uh, you mentioned drones earlier. That's a big deal. A lot of people have heard about. Uh, a lot of farmers are using drones in a multitude of ways. But what else do you see coming down the pike as far as technology? Well, you know, just precision ag in general. I, I, I think just implementing it more, maybe not only on each farm, but each field. You know, a, a micromanagement and, and good data, and, and that's what you get with precision ag. You get data, and over time you can look at it and say, hey, this is the direction I need to go. This is the way this field prefers to be watered. You know, this is the crop that this field grows, you know. And I I think that over over time uh, technology the one thing that's always happened in agriculture is change and, and and used to when I first started big change happened every three maybe four years big change happens every year now and and you have to adjust on the fly to that and, and take advantage of that and. Uh, sometimes there's some risk involved because there's not a lot of data to to support the brand new data. But you you also got to take advantage of it and go with it. You mentioned uh, Jared Hardkey earlier who uh, who works with Cooperative Extension Service here in Arkansas. He's the, he's the rice guy. A lot of those people through the University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture, uh, particularly at Cooperative Extension, are sources of information. Uh, they're actually people doing a lot of that research. Uh, so you probably yeah. work a lot with them and so do other farmers, correct? Yeah, I mean... Uh, you know, extension has always been our unbiased source of information for the farmer. I mean, it has, and and, and I use them all. Uh, you know, uh, and, and unfortunately, I'm at the age now where a lot of them has transitioned through, and we're working with new guys. You know, we got Tommy Butts, a uh, new weed scientist, Trent Roberts, the soil guy. You know, uh, replacing Nathan Slayton, and uh, I mean. Uh, you know, we still got Gus Lorenz, our entomologist, and, and each one of those play a vital role in our success throughout the year. So what would you say to farmers who are just really kind of getting started on their own? What, what should they do as far as staying up on the cutting edge like you've tried to do? How hard is that and how do you do it? 
you know, there's there's a lot of avenues, and you know, back in the day, uh, Delta Farm Press was your source. You know, and, and it's it's kind of went away. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's a timing thing. I don't know if it's a change thing. You know, uh, you've always got to go back and 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 look at extension. What extension says, and currently, uh, one of my sources, best sources, is what I call Ag Twitter. It's Twitter. But I follow ag people all over the United States. And, and I follow good ag people. And, and I, I, not only specialists, but farmers too. And I try to pick a little bit uh, up of what they're doing and try to implement it into what, what I'm thinking forward. So tell people, if they this might be a good place to kind of wrap this morning uh, conversation up. Tell people if they would like to follow you on Twitter, uh, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, S. Matthews Farm. Yep, S. Matthews Farms. Yep. At S. Matthews Farms. And I've started becoming one of your regular followers, and I know uh, you post a lot of interesting stuff and links to uh, uh, stuff that's out there and uh, farmers who are also on Twitter. So that's a good place to kind of keep up on top of things is to – to follow you on Twitter and follow some of these other folks too. Yeah, I think you know the the summer the summer conference at Farm Bureau was called staying connected or getting connected. You know, and I I think that's a theme. I think I think you need to use this, and and uh, I know I'm not a big social media guy. Matter of fact, Twitter is the only social media that I have, but this ag Twitter thing has been beneficial to me and it's my i've got a lot of connections uh not only just the state but all over the united states and and i'm using it in the right way i think well we appreciate you uh joining us for this podcast and sharing your insights and technology and what's happening on your farm here in poinsett county uh i'm sure a lot of people are going to get a lot of good information from listening to this thank you very much for your time scott Thank you, Keith. Now our own Ken Moore catches up with Wes McNulty, a rice and soybean farmer in Jefferson County whose cropland was threatened by historic Arkansas River levels earlier this year. He tells us how the delayed planting and flooding affected his crops and why he and other farmers want to be sure the levee is strong enough to protect cropland and property should another river flood occur. I'm Ken Moore and I'm visiting today with Wes McNulty down here in Pine Bluff, and uh, we are several months removed now from the historic Arkansas River flood back in June. And, uh, and Wes was one of many, many farmers who, uh, whose cropland was at risk from flooding, serious flooding, record-setting flooding, uh, if the levee had been overtopped down here. Now, Wes, tell me, uh, we want to talk about, you know, Basically, at this time now, you're, it's harvest time. It's harvest season. You're harvesting your rice and, and your beans, and you're going through. I heard you talking earlier today about, for the first time, you've been on the unprotected side of the levee trying to do some mowing and cleanup, and you discovered a lot of the debris that was left behind. Tell me uh, what kind of summer it's been for you now that the water receded months ago. How have you recovered from this? Well, it's been a challenge. Uh, the You know, the weather didn't cooperate at all up until July, basically, and uh, we were late getting our rice planted, uh, late with harvest. Uh, we're about to uh, wind down rice harvest. The yields have been off. 
uh, I would say anywhere from 15, 20% in some cases. Uh, we've been very fortunate we've had a good fall for harvest. Um, so uh, the fields for next year are not going to be in bad shape. Uh, hopefully we can get off to a better start next year. Uh, talk about uh, when you survey the, the property on the unprotected side of the levees. We were talking back back in June, you know, when that water goes down, you'll have all kinds of sediment and debris and garbage down there. What have you found? Well, there's a lot of damage, uh, a lot more than what I suspected. Uh, I've found uh, trailer house parts. I've found chicken house parts. Uh, I've found uh, cottonwood trees that are three, four, five feet in diameter toppled. Uh, all of that stuff that I'm going to have to have track hose to try to clean up. Um, it, it, there is a, a, a lot of a lot of more timber damage than I than I suspected. Uh, Land-wise, we were fairly lucky. Uh, there are some large areas of, of, of sand uh, piles and, and things like that, but uh, for the most part, the land, the physical damage is not bad, but the timber damage is extensive. Yeah, and so that costs money to clean up for property owners, right? I mean, uh, up and down the river, uh, there's farmers and property owners who are having to invest untold amounts, thousands of dollars to clean up. Yes, and, I, you know, there, there's going to be some programs to help, and I'm hoping uh, that those things are, are well publicized because we need help. And uh, uh, not only from cleaning up the damage, but also to help protect uh, from a lot of this stuff happening again. The levy uh, did survive. The levy protected us. It did what it was supposed to do, but we need to... Uh, uh, to get the awareness out that, you know, the infrastructure of the levees, the flap gates, the flood gates, those things, uh, they, they, they failed in a lot of situations, and it caused a lot of damage on the, un on the protected side of the levee. So I'm hoping those things will be addressed in the, in the coming months. Well, you've got some farmers down here. You've got some neighbors that are also uh, very aware of that need and uh, who share your concerns. Uh, this was a wake-up call. We've, it's not the first Arkansas River flood we've had. It's like the third we've had in, in like five, six years. Uh, but this was one for the record books, and I believe you told me back in June it was just a few inches from overtopping, and then if it had done that, your entire rice crop would have been uh, lost. I, I would have lost everything, uh, not just rice, but uh, there were so many farmers and thousands and thousands of acres that would have gone under. And uh, if that would have happened, that would have caused permanent damage to those uh, lands. And that's, uh, uh, you know, we might be able to recover from uh, losing a crop or, uh, you know, sometimes missing a crop. But we can't recover from physical damage to the lands that makes that would render them unproductive. So those things we can't we can't do. And so the governor has uh, created a task force to look into the. Uh, the levy system in, in Arkansas, and, and we heard today uh, during your county annual meeting that Farm Bureau will discuss here over the next month or so as we, you know, develop our policy for 2020, how to maintain and, and ensure that the, uh, the payment structure is there to maintain these levies, to, to protect the infrastructure as you're talking about, because so many of them, there's hundreds of miles of levies protecting cropland here in this state so you've got to have a funding mechanism don't you well we do and it's not an easy uh, answer you know nobody wants to pay more taxes me included uh, but I can tell you that uh, a, a slight raise in taxes uh, would have uh, 
been minimal compared to the damage that would have occurred if, if we do have a, a total failure of the levee system. We were really, really close to that. Uh, and as you said earlier, we were inches in some places. So, you know, I don't, I, I don't have answers to, to what it's going to take. Uh, I'm hoping this task force will see the urgent need to, to implement the, some practices to help maintain this levy to keep us from having that disaster. Now, harvest time this year is better for you, as you said a minute ago. So uh, how are your rice and beans looking? And, and, and talk about how this year, uh, your production year, was better than last. Well, the, the, the year was, uh, the, the yields have been slightly off of my average. Okay. And it's just because of, of the lateness of getting everything planted. Uh, but we are well ahead of, uh, of last year and getting fields prepared for next year. So we, we should be able to start off next year in a, in a, in a, in a good form, and I, and I hope that uh, the weather will hold the rest of this uh, fall so where I can get some wheat planted. We're getting uh, to the window now to where we need to plant wheat. And uh, so right now everything looks fairly good, and um, we're hoping that uh, for a much better 2020 than 2019. Yeah, for sure. As a soybean farmer, we're still dealing with uh, the tariff war with China and, and marketing of our soybean crop. Uh, heard a month ago that uh, because of all the wet weather and the difficulty planting the soybean crop, we're off about 600,000 acres statewide from what we normally plant. We normally plant more than 3 million acres of soybeans in Arkansas. We're down around, I understand it, according to the last report, down to about 2.6 million acres. Uh, and then some of those that did get planted, the quality is, is all across the board. I've seen some that it won't even, you might as well not even put a combine on them. And other, the yields are, are above average. So, you know, with that in mind, you know, with the price situation we're facing and all, uh, what type of year has it been for you as a soybean grower? Well, I'm hoping to just break even from soybeans this year. And uh, the tariffs have hurt us. Uh, I, I don't think there's any question about that. I, I, I'm not sure why commodities are always the one that go to the forefront of any embargo and negotiations and, and, uh, with other countries. But we're dealing with it. Uh, you know, it's, it's a necessary to rotate. Uh, corn looks better than beans in, in most cases. But um, the bean yields have been all over the board. It's stuff that we were able to get planted on time seem to be yielding uh, average. The later beans are, are off a lot. And uh, with the tariffs, with the price, with the, the bases and the, the transportation crunch on the river, uh, it's just not a profitable price. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't see where it's going to end in the foreseeable future, in the near future right now. Yeah, and I understand you're going to be meeting with Congressman Westerman here. He is very acutely aware of the concerns and about the tariff situation. Our entire delegation is. What's your message going to be for him? Got to get something done to end this thing. Our message basically tomorrow would be one that um, how long can we sustain these uh, tariffs? How You know, farmers, we, we had some good years uh, uh, four and five years ago, but we were going on four years now of, of depressed prices. Uh, farmers, for the most part, were in good financial shape, but each year is eroding away uh, anything that we had saved in those good years. And if these tariffs stay, 
uh, I don't know how much longer farmers can uh, can can sustain these uh, these losses that we're that we're having to deal with right now. I, I believe, um, you know, in the last two years, the 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 foreclosures and the sales of farms have been up substantially, and we've got to curtail that trend. And uh, so I'm hoping that there's things that we can do to 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 uh, mitigate these tariffs. The USMCA trade agreement has been agreed to in principle. It's awaiting House action. Uh, Speaker Pelosi needs to bring that to the floor. We've heard that. Uh, how will that, I mean, you're a rice farmer as well. We need to get this uh, Mexico-Canadian trade agreement, you know, approved, uh, ratified by our Congress. How important is that for you? Well, it's very important for me and, and important for all the farmers, but uh, I think it ought to be very important for the U.S. consumers. Yeah. And uh, yeah. if you want to see uh, a, a real problem arise, let's just start affecting our food supply. Let's start uh, having to pay 50, 60, 80 percent of our disposable income on food. If you think there's a problem now, just wait until that happens. So there needs to be bipartisan uh, uh agreements made that these people that, that, that instead of trying to negotiate commodities and, and really affect people, they need to come together and and know that this is a, a not just a Democrat-Republican problem. This is a, an American problem, and they need to solve it. Well, Wes, you're about to wrap up the harvest for 2019, and as you said, uh, hopefully, good Lord willing, <laughs> it'll be a better year in 2020. Uh, every year is different. But you've weathered storms before, and you will this one again. Uh, so just talk about the resiliency that you and your family have and, and other farmers have uh, to come out, and, and once you get the crop in the bin, you hopefully can uh, look forward to next year. Well, I'd, luckily, I'd, uh, you know, my, my hero in life is my father, and he's had to deal with this. And, and he's always dealt with, dealt with it in a positive manner. He doesn't complain. And I hope that I can instill that on my son as, as he begins his uh, farming life. And um, we've been blessed. Uh, we, we, you know, and we count our blessings that, that we've been able to make a life of farming. And uh, I just hope that it can, it can continue for my son the way it did for me. And we'll always fight for that right. Well, best of luck to you as we wrap up the harvest here over the next month or so. And uh, have a great end of the year. Thank you, Ken. Been speaking with Wes McNulty down here in Pine Bluff on this edition of AgCast. That's it for this week's AgCast. We'll be back next Thursday with more interviews and updates about Arkansas agriculture.